Lord, we just come before you thankful for family and gathering together. And we just ask, Lord, your peace tonight, your, your words tonight. May it come through and just strengthen us, Lord, and fill us with your word and your love and your life. All glory tonight is yours and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're back after a little break here. And as I was preparing myself and for what I... Just sitting in the presence, waiting for the Lord to tell me, this is what I want, this is what you need to talk about. I was waiting and waiting, and then I finally just got... Just the word life. And so I said, what does that what does that mean? What am I following, Lord? And you know, is this is this a new new series, a new section, or am I continuing on with your attributes? And I just got the feeling that I'm supposed to continue on with his attributes and, and so he said, I am the speaker of life. And I said that okay. That's an interesting thing to say, Lord. Why? And, and what does that really entail? And so, as I kind of was doing these researches and, and searching the Bible, he, he just things started to click into place. There were a couple verses that just, it clicked, and then just a couple moments of like, whoa, this is interesting. So... You know, I want to start with a speaker of life, right? So he is talking. He talks. This, a speaker talks. And so this speaker speaks of life. And so we're going to kind of take a look at what, what does life entail? What is God, a speaker of life, as, as his character, what, what does he speak life about? So if you go to Exodus 33.11... It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So he speaks to people face to face. And Malachi 3 6. And he says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. So as he says, you know, God spoke to Moses face to face and that God does not change. And he says, I am the speaker of life. I said, okay, so I am going to focus on the words that God speaks individually to people. Okay, because we're studying the personality of God and how it affects and reacts and interacts with us as individuals. And so I'm completely ignoring the prophets and the messages that the Lord gives to people. Yes, it says the Lord says... But what I want us to look at and focus on is the personal aspect when he talks to us face to face. Because we believe, or many people believe, I don't, but many people believe that God doesn't talk. That God stopped talking in the Old Testament. That everything he did stopped. And it just says, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I do not change. So if God is talking in the Old Testament, guess what? He's going to talk in the New Testament, and He's going to talk in the present. And so, yes, we have the Bible. This is His Word, right? This is the Word. But the one verse that just was like, boom, 
And I was like, this is why I'm studying this right now, why I have to teach on this right now. Matthew 4, 4. This is Jesus being tempted by Satan. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I, have, I can't tell you how many times I've countlessly heard that verse and read that verse, but it wasn't until he said, I am the speaker of life, focus on my words, that that verse just was like, ching, light bulb. Every word. So I need to focus on every word that comes out of the mouth of God because it is life. And so what better place to start is in Genesis. But so let's just, just take a step back, right? So we all believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay? It's never changing. It's never wrong. But if you just take, take out the spiritual aspect of the Bible and just take a look at it as a book. If you've ever read a storybook or a fiction book, what do they do within the first few pages of an actual book? Not the pro pre prologue or anything like that, but chapter one, what do they establish? They establish the main character. From chapter one, you are understanding that this person is a main character. And then you start to de decide and figure out what kind of character this person is. Whether it could be the main character, the, the antagonist, or it could be the good character, the main protagonist. But you start to figure out from interactions, from the way these people are described, just who they are. And from page one, you start to figure out how you feel about them. So the very first words, Genesis 1. This, is, this, was, this kind of came to me. You know, just as like, as a whoa moment in that you right now, when we understand and we hear these words that God speaks, this is an introduction to God. This is the introduction to the main character. This is a book about God and his plan to redeem us. Yes, it involves Jesus, but Jesus points back to God, the main character. So what better way to learn about the main character than to hear him talk, see his interactions, learn about his personality. So here we are in Genesis 1, going to start to see just who this main character is and who he is by the words he speaks. So we're just going to, I'm just going to kind of skip through a bunch of these. I mean, we're talking Genesis chapter 1, verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 22, 24, 26, all these. So it says, then God said, this is the first, the first God said in the book. This is the first person that anybody, anybody who isn't even aware of God, just picks up this book. This is their first person that they are being introduced to. And these are the very first words that we have ever known recorded God to say. Let there be light. Verse 3 of the most important book in the, in, the, in the world. The main character says, let there be light.
Why does he say, let there be light first? Because he is light. Light is the most important thing to have. Because it separates the darkness. God could have said, let there be firmament. Let there be water. No, he said, let there be light. Verse 6, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear and so on. And it was so. 11, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit that yields fruit the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. Then let, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for the days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth. Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And then here's the first recorded blessing. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. Then he says, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And then verse 26, he says, let us make man in our own image, according to our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then skipping ahead to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and he says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So right here, you have now, you have now been introduced to the main character. And everything we have to know about the main character is by understanding his words. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is life. And if he didn't just create it, I don't know what if that's life or not. How do you not know that's life? That is. But you understand, if you look at the words he said, how he says them, he is demonstrating to you, to me, who he is. Let there be light. That's pretty ballsy. Can you say let there be light and there will be light? Out of nothing? No, you have to flip a light switch. You know, he says he's meticulous. You understand the character of God because he's meticulous. He doesn't say let there be water. And it does his will. No, he's specific. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters. You know, when he says, gather them together in verse 9. And then he's very specific and says, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit. He doesn't say, let plants be created. In my name, amen. He's specific. He's detailed. In this account, in his words, he is detailing what creation is and its purpose and who he is in the creation of it. You know, if you have ever created something, 
you understand the importance of paying attention to every detail of the thing you're making. You know, you're drawing a picture. You, you make sure the details. Even the six-year, my seven-year-old and five-year-old, when they draw pictures, they make details so that you know what it is. He's demonstrating his power by creating these things. But even more so, he's demonstrating just how much he values relations and relationships. Not only with him, but between his creations. You know, he says, let's create man in our own image. And so he does. But he also recognizes the care that needs to be taken for his creation. So he creates another one. So that he is, he is intimately aware of the needs of his creation. So within the first two chapters of this book, even if you aren't looking at the spiritual aspect of this and that he is the God of the universe and that he knows everything, if you're just looking at it as a book, introdu introducing you to God. In the first two chapters, if you look at the words that he says, you can know everything about him. And to me, it was just, woof. I, I hadn't looked at, you know, I've read Genesis 1, 1, and, two, and Genesis 2 countless times. But I never really paid attention to the words that he said that spoke into life and the importance of who they reveal him to be. And so if you, if we, we're going to move on now and we're going to go into, so this, that was God speaking just over everything. These are the, the first words in recorded biblical history. But now we're going to go and we're going to talk and we're going to look at Genesis 8. And this is God talking to Noah. You know, he says in verse 15 and 16, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So right there, he, when he speaks to you, he gives you direction. Okay? He, he didn't just open the door for Noah and with his hands just go, shoo, 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 shoo. No, he gave him specific instructions on what to do and then why to do it. Genesis 9, verses 1 through 5. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the field, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you now shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require of it, I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of a man. And then in eight, in, in Genesis 9, 8, verses 8 through 17, he talks about the covenant he makes with the rainbow and the promises. So here he is promising protection. He's giving promises. 
you know, we, we so far removed from the flood, don't fear another flood. But for Noah, it's pretty real. He's like, I got this big ark. What else am I going to do? Are you going to wipe us out again? Are you going to wipe out all life again? Am I going to have to go back in? No. God assuages his fears and promises protection and gives promises to him. Face to face, he says it. So the speaker of life, in his life, for him, it's to speak promises and protection. Now, if we go to Job 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came from among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, I, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, This is what I want us to really focus on here. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? A relational God speaks praise. He speaks praise. And it's not flowery. It's abrupt and to the point. Have you seen him? He is a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. He speaks praise. That's life. Being praised for something. You know, kids live to hear the praise of their parents. You know, if you just continue to deny what they've done, what they do, what they draw, anything, sooner or later, it's going to die. But when they praise you, you know, when, when I've praised my children for the things they do, their face just changes. Their countenance changes. You know, you know they could have been sad or depressed but the moment I praise them, the moment I speak love to them, speak life to them, their whole countenance changes. And so he knows that you need praise, that I need to be praised for the good works that I'm done. So he will speak praise. Matthew 3:17. You know, we're all very intimately familiar with this one. And it says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He lets you know when he's pleased with you. You know, so there is no guessing with him about am I doing what am I, am, am what I doing pleasing to the Lord. He'll let you know. You know, go to go to First Kings three verses five through fifteen. You know, and in at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? So, asking, he's asking him to ask. He wants to have a dialogue. 
You know, he wants to have a dialogue. And so here he is. He says, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon responds, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him. You have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And the dialogue continues. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, it wasn't, hey, God smiled and then peace out. And Solomon never heard another word. No, he responded to Solomon's request. And he said, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, not asked nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So he just had a dialogue with Solomon. He asked him, he's going to ask you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to judge your response. He's going to weigh your response. He's not going to ask you what he needs to do. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your wisdom. Because compared to him, you don't have any. But he's going to ask you what you need because he's a relational God. And he knows that you need life in this place of death. And so when Solomon responded and said, I just want understanding, you know, God speaks his pleasure with him. And he tells him and promises him wisdom, joys, riches, things that would be on anybody else's heart. But so he's going to promise things that we, we need for life. He's going to speak joys into us, you know, because how, how could you not be excited and happy that when you say, Lord, I just want wisdom, he goes, great job. That's a great answer. You know, the God of heaven, I mean, he has seen, Solomon has seen his father walking in the Lord. And I am sure David from day one was instilling fear of the Lord in Solomon. And here he is having his own direct conversation And if we go to Jonah 4, right here in Jonah 4, verses 1 through 10, the whole chapter, he talks about, he talks about, he, he talks with Jonah. He talks with Jonah. 
He has a dialogue with Jonah. It's not, he isn't a God that just gives one words and doesn't finish the sentence. He's a God that tells you and talks to you. And so here he's saying, you know, we'll read the whole chapter because it's 10 verses, but, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was this not what I said when, well, when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously from Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, you know, how many times, I'm just going to pause there for a minute and say, man, sometimes I feel like Jonah. Because if you read this chapter, all he's doing is whining and moaning about how things didn't go his way. And God, the voice of reason, just keeps coming back with truth and truth and calling out, you know, his lies to him. You know, how many of us have those friends or those people that we talk to when all you want to do is whine and moan and complain yet they make you see things the way you should be seeing it. And so in verse 4, the Lord says, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jodah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it, was, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Again, how many times have I been struggling and woe is me, I just, just kill me and take me out of this world because it sucks. Then God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Tyler said, because I can insert my, and Tyler said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. When? But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? So he is a God of dialogue, and he speaks wisdom to us. You know, he, he lets us have our tantrum, but he speaks the wisdom that we need to hear. You know, I'm sure this book of Jonah could have gone on a lot longer and probably would have. Because how long does it take you once you hear wisdom to grudgingly receive it? But the Lord, in his wisdom ended the book there. So he speaks life and life involves promises, protections, praising us, speaking joy and wisdom into our lives. You know, it doesn't say in the word, and God let them have good feelings in their lives. No, he opened his mouth. It was important enough to God to open his mouth and speak these things into them. So if it's important for God to speak these things into somebody, don't you think it's important for us to do the same? 
but another aspect of life is speaking discipline. You know, so many times in, in the, the human heart that seeks evil doesn't want to be disciplined. You know, wants to ignore that discipline is life. It's another aspect of life. And so here we read in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 12, excuse me, Proverbs 14 Verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we need discipline because the way our heart will lead us is to death. And so he disciplines us and trains us so that we don't walk towards it. That's why it's important. And so the biggest smackdown, I feel like, of, of the Bible, is of, from, the word, from the mouth of God, is on Job. Job 38 and 39. Two chapters. You know, these are... These are important chapters because it's, you know, the, the, all 37 preceding this are just, is a dialogue between guys and them speaking out of their, you know, speaking out of turn. But here, out of nowhere, in, verse, in chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, this is, if this is not a chastisement, I don't know what is. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measures? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And here he goes. God just goes off on him. Boom, 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 boom. 38, 39. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer for it. And here's Job's response to this discipline from the Lord. He says, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. You know, these are correcting words. He's not condemning him. He's not condemning Job with these words. I mean, if you read 38 and 39, read them. He's not condemning him. He is correcting him. And it may seem harsh, but he's got to get through Job's head. And he wants it in the heart. He wants it to go through his head, settle in his heart, so that the understanding takes place. And so in, verse, in chapter 40, verses four, 4 and 5, you know, Job responds. But then the Lord says, no, 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 no. I'm not letting you off the hook just yet. I don't think you fully understand. And he goes again. And 
And he goes until chapter 42. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered that I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear. So this wasn't just a figment of Job's imagination. This was the God of heaven and earth speaking to him that he physically heard him with his ear. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So he had to hear in order for his eyes to see where he was wrong. This is integral because after this, Job is blessed. The correction leads to blessing if you walk in it. He says, the last thing Job says in answer, in response to the Lord is, and repent. That he repents. That's what God's looking for when he goes for discipline. He doesn't, he's not going after you to crush you and kill you and destroy you. He's looking for you to repent so that he can restore to you everything that he wants to restore to us. But so he speaks protection and promises, praise, joys, and wisdom into our life. He dialogues with us. He speaks discipline. These are all the culminations of what life is when somebody is speaking to you. But take a look at Revelation 21. And we'll start in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear. This isn't, and God won't, you know, and God will delegate this to so and so. No, this is, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So after the discipline, he creates and speaks new things. That's a part of life. New things. New things being spoken. Trees wither. Trees, you know, during the winter, they, they hibernate. But in spring, new is grown. That's an important part. He speaks new things into our life. And then he says in verse 6, or, and, you know, we'll continue. And he said to me, write these, for these, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And this is what it means to speak life. I will give of the fountain of the water of life, speaking life freely to him who thirsts. Freely. We should give life freely. Speak life freely. And so he does. That's what he's promised. Here's another promise that he has spoken with his mouth. 
He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Life, the God of, that is a speaker of life, speaks to overcomers. Life is for overcomers. You don't speak life to the dead because the dead doesn't want to hear it. So here he is and he says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abomination, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerer, idolaters, and all liars. Every word of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is life. I mean, I could take weeks and weeks to just study what he has said in just Genesis alone. But I want you to understand that he is the same, that he does not change, so he's not going to go silent. But are we like Job? Have we repented that he will then be pleased with us? You know, are we listening for him to speak life into our life? Or are we like the undead and, and not hearing? You know, when I've thought about this, and I said, Lord, I want to hear your voice. You know, we talked about the voice and what it sounds like. But the words that come out of it are important to understand and focus on. You know, when you're telling somebody about something, you're trying to recall all the words that they said so you can accurately portray what's being said. So yes, this is the word of God. But there are so many examples of God speaking to man. And I'm not talking about just Jesus. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I am talking about God, the one who sits on the throne, speaks. Yesterday, today, and forever that does not, has not, will not change. So I am just amazed you know, and, and I'm changing the way I pray. I look, I look with my eyes. I look with my eyes throughout my life, into my life, to my life, to see God moving and to God culminating life into me. I look for it. But here he is, a speaker of life. Am I listening for it? Am I really listening? You know, am I listening with the ears of Job? Because he heard him loud and clear. Am I listening with repentant ears, with humble ears, to hear the life that he wants to speak into me? So now I'm starting to change my prayers to not only see, but to hear. Because those are tangible things. 
you know, they're, they're my senses. Why would you not want to experience a relational God with your senses? So Lord, we just come before you and we understand with a clarity that has never before been seen that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from your mouth. That we have looked for your hands in our lives, but we have neglected to listen for your words in our lives. So Lord, I ask that those that are listening, our ears be opened in the name of Jesus to hear you speaking life into us. Because you spoke to Moses face to face. You spoke to Noah face to face. You spoke to Job and Solomon, Jonah, and numerous other people, Lord. And you haven't run out of things to say. So Lord, I ask, don't be silent. And I repent in dust and ashes, Lord. So that I may turn to you, that I may hear the life that I so desperately need to hear. So, Lord, let your words this evening find good soil and bear fruit. And the bumbling words of your servant fall flat. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.